had not touched this material before this audition. I really hadn't. And so that was really scary, but it also was like the minute we started working on it and got past some of those mental blocks, I was like, oh, this is so right. Hi, I'm Cynthia Corbin-Westfall, a Broadway music director, conductor, voice coach, and tenured professor in the musical theater department at the University of Michigan. And I'm Chelsea Wilson, a performer turned voice teacher to Broadway stars and vocal coach on Broadway productions like The Phantom of the Opera, School of Rock, and more. Here on the Broadway Vocal Coach Podcast, you can expect real talk about the business, practical advice, and constant encouragement. We believe there's space for every artist in this industry. All you need is the right support. So consider us your two-woman hype team. Welcome to the Broadway Vocal Coach Podcast, where we help musical theater performers get unstuck and take the next step in their careers. We recently sat down and had a fantastic conversation with Emily Kristen Morris. You might know her from TikTok. You might know her from the national tour of Wicked. She's doing so many cool things, and we got to hear the behind the scenes of all of it. Emily Kristen Morris is a New York City-based actor, singer, dancer, certified vocal instructor, and popular online content creator. That's serious. 1.6 million followers on TikTok. Emily has performed across the nation and internationally and is currently the Alphabet standby on the Broadway national tour of Wicked. Her past theater credits include B in the national tour of Something Rotten, White Plains Performing Arts Center, playing Daisy in Sideshow, The Rev, Sophie and Mamma Mia, Kate Playhouse, the Norwalk Symphony Orchestra, Gateway Playhouse, and so much more. Emily has also performed as a solo vocalist with symphony orchestras, and her voice is featured on Joey Contreras' new album, In Pieces. On TikTok, Emily is popular for her voice teaching videos, her singing covers, and her vocal coach reacts videos. When she's not performing, Emily runs her highly sought-after voice studio, EKM Vocal Studio, where she teaches voice lessons, master classes, and workshops to passionate singers both virtually and in person in New York City. Emily is certified through the Institute for Vocal Advancement, IVA, and received her BFA in musical theater from the University of Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music, CCM. Emily is a great personal friend of mine, and I'm just pumped for people to listen to this episode and hear about someone who is doing doing all the things and finding and, and carving out a space for themselves in this industry in surprising ways. Letting go of limiting beliefs is a theme of this conversation. And yeah, taking a risk and stepping into new possibilities. I think that's a theme as well. Let's dive into the interview. Hi, Emily, and welcome. Welcome. <laughs> How are welcome, you? Guys. And where are you in the world today? I'm good. I'm in Miami. We're here for three weeks. We're here in Florida for like three months. We did Orlando, Miami, and then Tampa, and then West Palm Beach. So we're doing like all of winter in Florida. That so seems nice. like the dream tour, honestly. It's so nice. You really, <laughs> the schedule worked nice. out in your favor. <laughs> yes. No. Oh, that's so yeah, great. Good. So Emily, we're so happy to have you on the podcast today and be talking all about your career and your life and the behind the scenes of all the cool things that you do. But let's maybe, for our listeners, introduce how we all know each other. Mm -hmm. Emily, you and I met probably, I want to say like five years ago. Yeah, 2017. 2017. And yeah. you started taking voice lessons with me. Yeah. 
And then that just kicked off a lovely student-teacher relationship and then very much good friend relationship. You are one of those students who has turned into such a good friend. And I am so grateful for you in my life. I'm so grateful for you. Oh, just like endlessly grateful for you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for everybody listening, Chelsea like changed my life. Chelsea is so much of the reason I am where I am. She seems to have that knack. She has that knack of doing that. This isn't why we had you on, but I mean, thank you so much. That's so, so kind. Well, and you and Cynthia – you attended Impulse back in the day, and Cynthia was there and coached you during that no. time. And then we'll just kind of do a little speed through. You ended up going to school for musical theater. Tell us a little bit about mm-hmm. that and then how you came to be where, yeah. where we are right now. So in high school, I knew I wanted to do musical theater professionally. I did the whole college audition process and ended up deciding to go to CCM, Cincinnati Conservatory of Music, for musical theater. So I went there and I got my BFA and it was a wonderful experience and I I really loved my time there and I made the best, best, best friends and our class, we were really lucky. Our class just like got along so well and to this day gets along so well and had a great experience. And then I moved to New York after, you know, after graduating and showcasing and all that in 2017. 2017, okay. And then, yeah, one of the first things I did when I graduated was like, I need to find like my voice teacher. I need to find the voice teacher. Like it it was, yes, because I wanted to keep training, but like more than anything, I think I knew and I was right. I knew that like, that's one of those things that like would help me find a home and help me find my comfort in this new city. And voice teachers are so much more than just teachers of the voice. Like they are mentors and they guide you in your career, but they also guide you as a person. And sometimes they're your therapists. And you know what I mean? It's like, I just knew that if I could find somebody I really connected with, it would make a big difference for me moving to this big new city. I was like shopping around. I was like, you know, you got to try a few different teachers out. And I did three first time lessons and they were all at like very different price points too. I met with somebody who was a little bit newer and I think yeah, it was at a pretty low price. And then I met with somebody who like, one of my like Broadway friends had been like, this is the teacher, changed my life $250 later. And then I met with you who also a Broadway friend had recommended and you were somewhere in the middle price point wise. And I actually had a great time at all three of the lessons, but like immediately connected with you and just loved the way you talked about the voice and loved that you had a really similar background that you'd done the BFA musical theater thing and had also been a performer. And, you know, that first lesson, that IVA first lesson, Institute for Vocal Advancement, for those of you who don't know, is is just so, it's so good. And it it cuts to the problem right away. And then you begin to fix it. And then your lesson's over and you're like, wait, we're on to something. And then you want to come back. So (laughs) anyway, wow. So that's how we met. And yeah, I started taking from you. And then I spent a year... Oh my God, being non-union in New York and getting up at 4 a.m. to put my name on lists and wait until 4 p.m. to be told, never mind, we're not seeing non-union actors and holding down a day job and paying rent and blah, 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 just like killing myself as so many people do. And then around the year mark of being in New York, I, I nothing had happened, hadn't booked anything. And then I booked three things back to back. And one of them was a national tour. And I was like booked for a year. I was like, Oh, I made it, you know, and 
that was a huge that was a huge turning point to be able to get those jobs. Mm-hmm. I think so many actors yeah. you go a long time putting in the work of auditioning and it was just one of these serendipitous yeah. moments where you're like I just booked three things in a row and one of them I will yeah. I will be employed for a year. It's a it was a huge turning point for you. Tell us about yeah. what, what, what that show was and and being out on the road. Yeah. Yeah, so I did the national tour of Something Rotten and it was you know, my first national tour was, it was the first year that the tour went non-union. It was a non-union tour, which like, I do not turn my nose up at, at all. I think it's a great experience, especially for younger actors. And I had a great time and it was hard, but I made like the best friends ever and saw so much of the country. And I got to play this absolute dream of a role. And yeah, for anybody who's done something rotten, you know that it's just one of those shows that like, it's just a joy. It is only a joy. Like even if you're in a crazy mood and the day's been hard, like you start doing that show and you hear the laughter and it's just, it is reviving. (laughs) It's such a fun show. Let's jump ahead a little bit and talk about what you're currently doing. You're currently standing by for Elphaba on the national tour of Wicked. And this was another transformational job. This was a big turning point. Tell us a little bit about this casting process and how this came to be, because I think folks will be surprised at how it all came about. Yeah. So coming out of the pandemic, (laughs) coming out of the pandemic, I was wondering if I would ever get on a stage again, you know, as all of us were, and there were just like no auditions and the ones that were happening were all virtual and nobody was getting those virtual auditions. You know, they weren't even getting views. So what's happening? How do we, how do we make this career happen again? I was like really just missing it so much. And then I was really lucky to book a production of Sideshow, which is kind of a little known show. Not everybody knows it, but it's a beautiful show from the 90s. It starred Alice Ripley and Emily Skinner and sort of like catapulted their careers. And anyway, it's just a great show and sort of like a true star turn. Those two roles are just amazing roles. And yeah, I booked the role of Daisy at this theater company just outside of New York City called White Plains Performing Arts. But I was just like so, so thrilled to be paid as an actor again, to get to perform again, to get to dig my teeth into this awesome role. Side note, Wicked, I had tried to get in for auditions for the show, you know, my whole time in New York, right? And just like could never get an audition, couldn't get in the room, wasn't even sure if I was right for it. I knew I was in the world of the show. I didn't necessarily know that I fit either of the characters. We can talk more about this, but I I had this like major identity thing about Wicked mm-hmm. where like I really felt like I was somewhere in between Elphaba and Glinda for a long time. And, you know, I'm blonde and I have curly hair, but then I'm taller, but then my voice tends more towards beltier stuff. Anyway, you know, for years, I just wasn't sure where I fit. And I'd always wanted to get in for Wicked, but I just never had. So that's the backstory. So I'm doing Sideshow. It's 30 minutes outside of New York City. And one of the shows we did, the woman playing my twin at intermission was like, I think Dan Michike is in the audience. And I was like, who's that? <laughs> she was like, he's the music director for Wicked on Broadway. I did a, you know, I did a coaching with him a few years ago. Like, I think that's him in the audience. I was like, why would he be here? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that's cool. All right, fine. So, you know, we finished the show and 
networking. It's a scary thing, right? But it is so important for our careers. And I try and do my best to push myself past the cringe, not too far past the cringe, but some somewhat past it to put myself out there when I can. So when she had told me, Emily, he, he does coachings. I did a coaching with him a few years ago. I was like, oh, well, what a cool thing. Like, maybe this is the universe telling me, Emily, you should do a coaching with this guy. He saw you in this show. You know, maybe you could learn something from him. What a cool new connection. So I think literally that night or maybe the next morning, I DM'd him because I saw that he had tagged me in his story. And I was like, so cool that you came to the show. Would love to do a coaching sometime. And he sent back like paragraphs. And, and voice memos being like, Emily, I think you're amazing. Basically, he, he was like, you know, I just love Sideshow. It's a show I grew up with. It's not a show that very frequently gets done. So when, when I heard that Sideshow was performing near New York, I literally told my Wicked team, I will not be rehearsing during this day. I want to go to the matinee of this production of Sideshow. And, and then he proceeded to just like, give me such warm and and sweet and wonderful compliments and was was just like so nice when he really didn't need to be and so kind and and then he was kind of like and by the way have you been in for wicked and i was like well you know i've gone to epas never like really gotten in the room and the next morning i woke up with an audition for alphabet the universe works in mysterious yeah. ways <laughs> incredible yeah yeah, totally. And it's one of those stories that like you hear in our business, showbiz, you know, like it's always some weird connection you make somehow. Someone sees you in a concert, sees you in a show, whatever. But like, it's so true. Like, don't it's stick real. your nose up at any performance opportunity, really, unless you don't want it. Right. But if you want to do it, do it. And it could lead to something else. And like, so much of this career is about that. And so anyway, woke up with an audition for Alphaba. And he was, Dan was amazing and like actually kind of did some coaching with me sort of on his own time, like sent me some voice memos and was like, this is exactly what they need to see from you. Make sure you show this part of your voice, blah, blah, blah. And he knew that he knew that I was a voice teacher and I had that background. So he was able to sort of talk to me very, very technically, which was cool. And then I, so I filmed a, a tape of like the initial sides and scenes, sent it in and then I didn't hear anything. And, you know, that's fine. I wasn't even sure if they were casting, whatever, right? You never expect anything from something like that. So sent that in, finished Sideshow, living my life. I went to Europe and I got engaged and I was just having a summer, you know. This is the best way to be auditioning is just be like fully living your life throughout. You're like, yeah. I'm waiting for this. Yeah. I'm going to go to Europe and get engaged. Yeah. I'm going to do my thing. Yeah. Oh, I no, it. I wasn't waiting for it at all. Yes, I wasn't expecting yes. anything. Oh, yeah. No. So a couple weeks go by. And meanwhile, I actually booked something else. I was supposed to do a different tour. I was supposed to do the, mm. the Les Mis tour. I was going to be in the ensemble of Les Mis. And so that's that's what I was thinking. You know, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to understudy Fontaine. It's going to be great. And oh my gosh, I'm going to go back on the road. And I wasn't thinking about auditioning at all at that point. So all these months go by. And then in July, out of nowhere, I get an email from my agent with <laughs> with the forwarded message that he got from the casting team at Wicked that literally just said, hey, an opening for the Alpha Standby, you know, just came out. Is Emily still interested and available? I was like, huh? <laughs> Is she interested and available? Yeah. 
<laughs> what? Oh, yes. Like, yes, huh? You've seen me once. And I sent in a tape and I am so accustomed to getting nothing back from tapes. You know what I mean? Like you just, it's sad, but like you come to think of them as going into the ether, even though sometimes they're not, you know? So I was like, yeah, what? Huh? And then that kicked off this, I guess, one and a half week wicked extravaganza where I did, I got notes and then I taped again and then I got notes and then I taped again. And then I had a work session in the room with the music director and the associate director. And then I think it was like three days later that I learned that I got it. And then I flew out to Minneapolis, which is where the tour was and started rehearsing. Oh my gosh. I remember this <laughs> very vividly. And yet to hear you recount mm-hmm. it all, it's still so exciting. And it's just, like you said, it's one of those stories <laughs> where like, you hear somebody saw you in something and then brings you in for this. And then the timing's just right. And talk to yeah. me a little bit about yeah. how you said for a long time, you never really saw yourself in this role or weren't sure yeah. where in the show you might fit. And Where do you think that came from and how has that changed for you or has it? Yeah, it has. Yeah, I think I felt a lot of imposter syndrome around this role, around auditioning for it, around rehearsing for it by the time I was doing it less so. But because I felt that I didn't fit the mold, I felt, and this is like a blessing and a curse, but I I have always been someone who lives in between types a little bit, I think which is awesome. And it means that I can, I can play a variety of roles. And, you know, in a lot of ways, I really love that about myself, but I'm somewhere in between Elle Woods and Vivian. I'm somewhere in between Nicola and Lauren and Kinky Boots. I'm somewhere in between, you know what I mean? And I felt the same way about Wicked. And so I think growing up, I was like, I'm a Glinda, you know, I'm young and I'm 14 and I have blonde curly hair and she's girly and I'm girly and I really Mm -hmm. related with that. But I also knew that like my voice totally tended towards Alphaba and I knew that, you know, it's something I would love to sink my teeth into, but I just didn't know that realistically I would be seen that way. And I think that when I'm like honest with myself, the, the person by far that I relate to most is Alphaba and she is really similar to me in a lot of ways. She she is like such a proponent of justice and what is right. And I I have that to a fault. And she's such a self-advocate and she's really smart and she's she is a little bit headstrong and, and a little bit explosive. And anyway, I have all of these things in me and I always have, and they've gotten me in trouble in the past and just in the way that, that Alphabet deals with them. And so anyway, I really related to the character. I just didn't know that like my look was ever going to be able to get me in the room. And <laughs> I had this whole thing about my jawline. I was like, Elphabas have to have really strong jawlines and I don't have it. So I'll never play her. Literally, like you just tell each other, yeah. you just tell yourself these like crazy And in myths, some ways, you know? I think these limiting beliefs protect you, you know, like we, we believe yeah. them because they serve us in a way to protect us from mm-hmm. like, dreaming that dream or thinking yeah. like maybe I really should go for it or I could go for it. Mm-hmm. And... I remember when you were going in for this, though, you were like, I remember you saying I could and should have been working on this material earlier, but it was just scary mm-hmm. and I was never going to play it. It was like you never believed that you were going to go in for this somewhere yep. deep inside of you, right? And so you're like, I-, I didn't touch it. 
And now, oh my gosh, I'm I'm going in for it. I wish I would have started working on this a year yes. ago or whatever. And like yes. you, you crushed it clearly and you are so <laughs> suited for it. But I think this is so common for performers. It's like this dream, whatever the dream is or that role or this show or whatever feels untouchable. And so we just avoid mm-hmm. it instead of throwing mm-hmm. ourselves into it and just trying. Even in a space, mm-hmm. safe space like a voice lesson or a coaching class or something, just be like, well, let's just right. try it on, see how it fits. It remind me of that line in Mean Girls when Regina says, <sighs> oh, you look really pretty in that. And Katie says, thank you. And Regina's like, oh, so you think you're pretty? And I feel a little of that with this material kind yep. of thing. Like yep. if you work on alphabet material, it's like, oh, you think you could be an alphabet? Do you know what I mean? And I think that's another reason why sometimes people don't dare to work on material. It's like, oh, you really think you could be a Christine in Phantom? Really? Mm. Interesting. You know? I know. I think that was also part of the deep insecurity, too, was that I feel like most alphabas kind of know that they're an alphaba from a young age and they have the dark hair and they have the angular faces and they start working on Wizard and I in their voice lessons at 12 years old. And like, I had not touched this material before this audition. I really hadn't, which was, I I doubt that that's very common for people going in for this role. And so that was really scary, but it also was like the minute we started working on it and got past some of those mental blocks, I was like, oh, this is so right. Oh my Mm -hmm. God. (laughs) It was so clear so quickly for me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's so great. Talk to us a little bit about what it's like to be as a standby <laughs> and to be a standby for such a demanding role. And maybe some of our listeners might not know exactly what a standby is versus an alternate or an understudy. Yeah. And how do you stay mentally and vocally and emotionally ready to go on at any time? Yeah. Okay. So a standby is different than an understudy. Understudies are in the ensemble of a show and then, you know, they understudy a lead lead goes out because they're sick or tired or need a vacation or whatever. And that understudy will get bumped up to the lead. And what we call a swing will come from offstage into that ensemble track, right? Standbys are something that our industry does typically for like highly demanding roles. Things like, like Alphaba and Wicked, things like Hugh Jackman had a standby in Music Man. Anyway, standbys are, are not on stage. We are off stage standing by specifically because they want someone totally rested and ready to go if and when that lead actor needs to call out. Yeah. And it's an interesting job. It's an interesting thing because depending on the actor you're standing by for, that sort of dictates a lot of what your job is going to be. You know, some actors, I know some alphabas who like really just call out almost every matinee and like that's what they got to do you know and then some some really don't and anyway so that's that's what a standby is and so I am at the theater every day I am not green absolutely not sitting backstage in the green <laughs> everyone asks me that but okay, I am backstage. Think about that. yeah you're hanging out backstage yes, everyone asks and I can imagine yeah. that gets a little lonely at times and like mm-hmm. okay, okay I'm I'm here. How do you how it's do you so manage weird. your expectation about that? You know, like okay, this is the job. This is the job. This is what I'm getting I know. to do. 
it's really complicated. And I think if you talk to any swing, any standby, any alternate, like they will have had these feelings, these complicated feelings. I mean, you know, when I can sort of zoom out and just look at like what the reality of this job is and, and how cool, like I get to like sit backstage and get work done and do study hall. And, and then when I need to go on, I go on and I go on for this amazing role that is so, so rewarding when I do go on and like, great. Right. But, and I think, you know, most of the time I'm there, like mentally, most of the time I'm there and I'm really happy to just be in the building and, and go on when I need it, you know? But there are absolutely times where it feels it's just so isolating. And like every person told me that before I took this job, everyone was like, get ready. It's lonely. It's a lonely job. And it is because you don't feel the sense of like camaraderie of doing the show and getting on stage and playing with people every single day. And it it can be hard sometimes to reckon with the fact that like what you know you are meant to do and what you know you're so good at, you're not doing. But you are, but you're not, you know? (laughs) One of the like weirdest and trickiest things I've experienced and I didn't didn't realize I'd feel this way and maybe I just need to go to therapy and like work through this, right? But I was reflecting on this just last night actually. I, so as a standby, I leave halfway through act two. Once she finishes No Good Deed, they're like, all right, she's good. You know, she's not calling out. So I I can go home. But every once in a while, I'll like, I'll stay till the end of the show, maybe because I'm waiting to walk with a friend home or whatever. And something I never thought would be as mentally tricky for me, but is, is leaving at the end of the show and stage dooring when I haven't been on. It feels crazy to leave the theater and have all these fans ask for my autograph when I wasn't on stage or not ask, which is fine. But especially when they do ask, like I, there is just this constant thing you're battling, which is like, I'm a part of this, right? Right. I matter. Right. But also don't ask for my autograph. Cause I, I don't want to lie to you. I wasn't on stage, <laughs> you know, it is so, it's so tricky. It's really tricky. Just just you're expected to be at such a high caliber when you do get asked to do the, the hardest part of your job, which is play the hardest role in musical theater history at the drop of a hat. And then when you're not on, you're dealing with, yeah, all those nuanced, grateful to be here. Also, am I being used in the best way possible, but so grateful to have a job, but but I don't feel a part of it sometimes, but I definitely am a part of it because I'm in Miami and I wouldn't be in Miami right now if what, right? Like, you know what I mean? You're like, you are on the train, but sometimes you're like, hmm, why am I here again? (laughs) You know? It's such a a unique experience and so few shows have dedicated standbys. There's not not a ton. There's not a a ton of productions that have dedicated standbys. Like you were mentioning, if there's a a big celebrity in a show – the Hugh Jackman mm-hmm. and Sutton Foster revival, they definitely had standbys and, and whatnot. But but not a lot of shows have someone dedicated for standing by. Even, correct me if I'm wrong, but Glinda, who's also a leading role in Wicked, she doesn't have a standby. Is that correct? Yeah, it's weird. In New York, Glinda and Alphaba have standbys on, okay. on Broadway. But on, but tour, not on the tour, it's just – yeah, mm-hmm. it's just it's you're you're in the company of very few people who will understand what this particular role is and I love that over the past few years we're seeing more 
attention, much needed, much deserved attention for understudies and standbys and the people who have been making the shows possible throughout this pandemic and and as we're kind of dealing with kind of a new phase of theater now. And I hope that that continues to be a positive movement, to be appreciating the people who are not on stage every night, but who are there making sure the show continues to happen. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And every single thing is a little bit different. Like, you know, standby's going to have a really different experience than an alternate, even though they're very mm-hmm. similar, right? right? Like I talked to my yep. friends who are doing six. I have a friend who's an alternate in six and they're also off stage, like standbys. Well, actually you could call what they're doing standing by, but, but typically an alternate will have set dates. So like yep. Kim and Saigon had an alternate, week. right? And yep. mm-hmm. he, yeah, she would go on, Tina had an alternate, right? Go on for the matinees or whatever. Even that would feel really different than, than what this is, which is truly standing by. Yep. It's, yep. it's really unique. <laughs> <laughs> it's but really then unique. when you do go on, it's so rewarding. It is so special. It's amazing. Before we move on from Wicked, which I love hearing about, Emily, these stories, I feel like you're telling us the stories that, you know, nobody gets to hear and nobody really yeah. knows you are in such a unique position. But one thing I wanted to circle back to, just because Chelsea and I within the BBC membership have talked a lot about this, you made a point to say the connections that you made with Dan were such a big part of you eventually getting this role. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to share, I wanted to normalize these connections because I know a lot of people feel like it can be sort of an icky thing to do and you feel a little weird right. about it. And, right. you know, it feels like you're trying to get something by making a connection mm-hmm. with someone else. But I played, I've played the Wicked Tour a handful of times and for one yeah. fairly long stretch, which was like a couple months, six weeks or something like that. Oh and one of the times I played it, Dan was I think he was keyboard three on the tour. So that's when I first got to know Dan. And I had since I had, you know, lived in New York for a long time and done a number of Broadway shows. And now I was living in Michigan and teaching at the University of Michigan. But I was playing the Wicked Tour for that stretch of time. And Dan... I think literally like when he found out that, you know, who's the player that's coming in, he somehow found out what my background was. He then came to me and was like, hey, can I take you out for coffee? I just want to hear about your experiences of conducting Broadway shows. And I'm going to be getting up to conduct soon. He was the assistant conductor, I think. So he was getting up every now and then, but not a lot. Mm -hmm. And he had a date coming up when he was going to conduct. And he was like, would you just check out my conducting? And maybe we can talk about it afterward. And would you be willing to give me some notes? And not like I had anything to do with him eventually becoming music director on Broadway of Wicked. But I think it just goes to show that when you know, you reached out to Dan to make that connection. Meanwhile, Dan had reached out to, you know, that if he'd reached out to me, he'd probably reached out to many, many people along his career as well to make connections to get him where he wanted to go because he started out more as an actor. I don't know if y'all know that. He was on the Broadway as an actor in Chicago. He played Mary Sunshine in Chicago on Broadway. But wanted to shift into music direction. So that's a really big shift, as you can imagine. So Mm -hmm. Just to normalize that you were making a connection with Dan, Dan, during his time of of climbing that ladder, was making his own connections. 
I was making connections. You know, everybody's making these connections all the time. And you just, just, just know that whoever you're trying to make a connection with, they are probably also doing the exact same thing. Yeah, they've been there. In their position. And we're all doing it. And we're... And, and there's a way to do it mm-hmm. that doesn't feel slimy. And it's hard yeah. to find sometimes. But, you know, there's absolutely a way to just get to know the people around you in a heartfelt and genuine way, I think. Yeah. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's like what Dan did was just literally like, hey, can you help me out? Like you've got some knowledge that I, I think could be really helpful to me. Would you mind sharing? So sometimes right. making connections isn't so always about yeah. give me a job. It can also be just about can we share some knowledge here? Can we get to know each other and and help right. each other out? So I just wanted to share yeah. that because I thought that was such a cool moment and we're all we're all doing it. And and, yeah. and I hope it also just encourages everybody to also be that connection for other people. Because I would imagine if someone ever came to you, Emily, and said, would you help coach me on Wicked Material? You'd be like, oh my gosh, I know everything now. So yes, you know, that you continue to pay that forward and help other people when they come to you now asking for connection yeah, help. Of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So much of this is the craft, but a lot of it is also this. And it's it's important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's back up a little bit. Let's return to the timeline. You're coming out of something rotten. And I remember very distinctly telling you on that tour, Emily, I think you'd be a really great voice teacher. I think I think you should be a voice teacher. I think you'd, you're really suited for it. You've got a great communication style. You have a passion about the voice. And so talk to us a little bit about, about this because I think a lot of folks have probably been introduced to you through your online presence on TikTok, on Instagram, yeah. as a voice coach, as a voice teacher on TikTok. And I, I've got so many questions about that. How did you get into voice teaching? You told me I'd be a good voice teacher. And I was like, well, Chelsea, I have always loved the voice. I've always thought that I would love to teach voice one day, but I can't because I can't play piano. So there you go. Can't, can't do it. And that's the, that that was my belief for a little while, but yeah, long story short, when I was 18 years old, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer and it was right before I was supposed to go to CCM to, to fulfill my musical theater dreams. And it happened right at the end of my senior year and it was totally devastating. But the one thing I was like, all right, cool. I have cancer. Fine. Get it out of me. You know, do the surgery. Just don't, don't touch my voice. Like, I know you're doing a surgery around my neck. So just, just, you know, get the cancer out. Okay, fine. But don't let this affect my voice. They were like, yeah, yeah, no worries. No problem. Low chances. Long story short, when I was 18, after this surgery, I came out of it with a paralyzed vocal cord. And so I had spent all this time in, you know, my (laughs) teenage years. It was, it was about, I don't know, four months of like intense voice therapy, getting scoped really frequently, looking at my cords, doing speech language pathology. And I had spent all this time rehabbing my voice. And that was, I'd always known that I'd loved the voice. And I had an awesome voice teacher growing up who was really technical and had really been really inspiring, you know, in in understanding the voice. But it was that that sort of sparked this deeper realization that like, oh, I love the inner workings of the voice. And I I loved, even though it was totally a traumatic time, I loved looking at the scopes. And I liked 
seeing what was happening. You know, it's, it's unlike many muscles in our body. It's something that we really can't see, you know, until we have a camera down our throats or in our nose. So that was like the very beginning of me realizing that this was a passion I had. But as you know, when you go to school for musical theater, especially in a conservatory setting like CCM, like, you know, you're just full throttle in that world. You're singing, acting, dancing every day. Very little room for any other, you know, things. But when you said that to me, I, I, I was like, yeah, you're right. You're right. But I can't play piano. But then while I was on the road with something rotten, so I was playing B and all these, it's just one of those roles like Alphaba, but it's one of those roles that young women really relate to and love and look up to. And so I was getting a lot of women at the stage door and, and messages in my Instagram saying, you know, oh, I just love this role so much. And can you tell me like how, how you sing this eight shows a week? And do you have any tips for warming up? And what do you do to keep your voice healthy? And it just sort of got me thinking, all right, you know, I'm going to be done with this tour soon. I think coaching would be fun. Let me try it out. And it just became very clear to me very quickly that I was either going to be a coach where I did like acting through song stuff, or I was going to like, I needed to go get certified because nothing is worse and we all have experienced this. A lot of us in this career have experienced this, but voice teachers who are great singers, but don't know how to teach the art of singing. The pedagogy isn't there. And I knew that like, all I knew was my own instrument, but what if a student comes to me with a totally different voice and different tendencies and different range and different, different medical history than me? Like there's such a need for furthered education. If you're gonna handle, you know, someone's instrument and so very very yeah I was like yeah Chelsea yeah yeah I want to get certified so yeah you helped set me up and yeah I got I got certified (laughs) with the Institute for Vocal Advancement which is just such a such a great program and I can't recommend it enough and it like totally transformed my teaching and that's yeah that's how that all started and that was I started that in 2019 and then 2020 comes along yeah. and things things really quiet down. This is one of those fun things though because well, let me tell let me tell the story. Hannah Bales, if any of you guys follow Hannah, she's her major presence is on YouTube. I think she's close to a million subscribers on YouTube. She had just gotten on YouTube and TikTok in like early 2020. And she told me, Chelsea, you got to get on TikTok. You got to get on TikTok when the pandemic hit. And I'm like, oh, okay, fine. And then I got on TikTok and I'm like, Emily, you got to get on TikTok. You got to get on TikTok. And meanwhile, <laughs> I'm over here with my humble 100,000 subscribe followers on TikTok. And Emily and Hannah are like, a million and a half people follow them on TikTok. And it's just a joy to see what you do on that app. I think you bring so much joy into people's lives cool. and you're giving great information and and advice. So anyways, all that to say, yes, we all help each other make our way <laughs> to to the to the next thing. But you've been on TikTok now for I mean, we're going on 3 totally. years. It'll be sometime this year and I I think that was another like yeah. that, that yeah. changed your life. Yeah. I mean, so it started as I'm sure it did for you too, Chelsea. Like it started as a way to grow my business. The pandemic hit I started teaching full time, which I was loving, but you know, I wanted more yeah. students and as as so many voice teachers, you know, 
that's that's one of the hardest things, right? Getting students, getting people to know and trust you. And I was teaching all online. And so when you were you were like, there's this thing, it's called TikTok. And it's it's actually kind of great for like educational purposes and, you know, make a few videos with tips on how to hit the high note of, you know, whatever songs you want and it might help, you know. I've always liked social media. I know that it's like a lot of people have really complicated relationships with it. At, at times I do too, but I I enjoy it. I try not to let it like run my life and I, I try to just like take it with a grain of salt, but it's something that's fun and I like sharing with others and letting people into my life and being let into other people's lives in that way. And so I was, I was kind of excited about it. I was like, okay, cool. TikTok looks fun. Let's go. So yeah, I started filming little things and yeah, it just like really took off really, really fast. And it was early in, in the days of TikTok too. So maybe that helped, but yeah, at the beginning it was just like tips Mm -hmm. and tricks Mm -hmm. and, you know, voice teacher stuff, vocal help, you know, I was, I was hoping to garner some students and that is how it started. And then, I mean, I owe TikTok to a certain extent, my business because yeah, I got to a point where so many people were running lessons that I didn't have hours in the day. And so then I, I took on two associate teachers to, to, also teach for my studio. And now I have seven associate teachers at EKM studio. The social media sphere has given me this amazing opportunity to reach, you know, a group of people that share similar values. And we have like minds about, you know, singing and, and teaching and musical theater and it's so cool because it really has completely built my business and I'm able to do master classes and I was to do a master class in Paris and I'm like <laughs> recognized on the street and it's a really really cool thing that I think is easy to roll your eyes at TikTok and you know social media in general but I think if you can lead lead it with as much authenticity, you know, as you can and bring yourself to the table then it's it's really a great thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's been incredible to watch you on that journey and to see what it's done for your teaching career and your business. So Emily, you've actually Mm. had a lot of experiences that have taken you away from sort of a home base. And you've mentioned that you recently got (laughs) engaged and all the other things going on in your, between the voice teaching and you're also coordinating additional voice teachers in your studio, plus you're performing plus you've got a big social media presence. How do you find balance in Hmm. all these facets of your work and your personal Um, life? And you're a dog mom. I don't know. You've got a lot going on. (laughs) I've always been pretty good at multitasking. (laughs) I like being busy. Anytime one is taking over, I, I do feel that. Like if I, there are times where I'm like, Certainly when I was rehearsing Wicked, of course, that was like everything all day, every day, what I was thinking about. But now that I'm in the show and I know the role and all of that, yeah, like there are days where I'm like, I need to not think about Wicked when I'm not in the building and I need to go on a walk with my dog and fiance and like... I've always been pretty good at just juggling a a few things at once and making sure that nothing pulls too hard in one direction. We we talked in one of our earlier podcasts about hobbies 
and how hobbies can sometimes actually be helpful in things you get cast in, (laughs) but how they can also sort of keep you balanced in your life and just give you something else to think about. What kind of hobbies do you have these days? I love moving my body in lots of different ways and, and, you know, sweating and working out and stuff. I love, I've been like avidly reading on this tour, which is so great. And I, I had sort of not been for a while and it's so great to get back into reading. I love my family and I talk on the phone with my family most days. I like to cook. I like to bake, but I haven't done much of that on tour. Yeah, I have lots of different things that that bring me joy that have nothing to do with theater. And I think it's totally important. Yeah. Low stakes mm-hmm. hobbies. We love them. Mm-hmm. Okay, Emily, we have okay. a round of questions that we save for the very end. So a little rapid fire lightning round. But before that, can we ask you some questions about all the things we ever wanted to know about Wicked, but we're afraid to ask? <laughs> Number one. What is it like to fly? Ah! (laughs) So fun. It's so fun. It's not scary at all. I mean, I don't struggle with fear of heights. So maybe if you did, that'd be a little scary. But you feel very scary for me. Yeah. (laughs) Thrilling and fun. And you feel very strapped in. You feel fine. The only thing that's like a little bit daunting is getting into the levitator because it's pitch black and you have no time to do it. It's like... I hope you're happy, my friend. Run, 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 run. Take your bag off. Put your broom in the other hand. Put your cape over the levitator. Push your back into the levitator. Hear the click. You hear someone behind the curtain say, she's in. Then you know you're in. Then you say your line. Then you start flying. And if if one of those goes wrong, like, that's it. You know? (laughs) So, yeah. I mean, what's cool is in rehearsal, they let you feel it out with full lights you know, and, and just see what you're doing and you do it a bunch of times and you rep it out so that you start understanding the mechanics of it. But once the mechanics are there, it's so much fun. It's so I much love fun. that. And how heavy, this is a fun fact I feel everybody needs to know. Can you tell us the weight of some of your costumes? How many pounds are some of the costumes that you wear? Do you know? I don't know the weight. I feel like lots of people sort of told me about that, like, get ready, the back to which dress is heavy. I had done something rotten before this. So much heavier. Okay. So much heavier. Really? So you were ready. You Those were ready bustles, for it. bustles. Oh, my God. So much heavier. Mm. But I do know that the act to which dress is $22,000 to make. Oh, I love that. $22,000. Mm-hmm. Oh, my god. I love that. <laughs> okay. Here is a question. I always want to know this uh-huh. question. It's a little graphic. It's a little gross, but it's facts. I have been told by other alphabets that the bathroom situation is no joke Mm -hmm. when you are playing Mm alphabet. You can't just go when you need to go. And when you think about a role like this, where you're going to want to stay hydrated and you're going to want to be having sips of water, can you talk us through what that journey in a show is like for you? You absolutely cannot go to the bathroom except for during intermission. There is no time. First of all, even if I wasn't green, one of the most surprising things about Elphaba was how from the minute you get there, an hour before curtain to when you are taking your shower after the show is over, you have no time alone. None. Mm -hmm. 
Really, because at every moment you're either getting painted green or you're on stage or you're doing a quick change. And you are always being followed around by people, which is so helpful. You know, your dresser and all that. But anyway, there's there's no time alone, let alone time to go to the bathroom. There's no time. Yeah. And even if you had time, you can't because you'll ruin your makeup on your hands. <laughs> <laughs> And so I always go, before I start getting painted green, I always go to the bathroom. And then I always go between act one and act two, but I have to go really fast because, fun fact, the green in act one is different than the green in act two. There's a whole- That whole, was my next question. Yes. We there's need a whole, the whole new painting yes. that happens. Yes. Yes. The entire- I need to know. Yes. The entire intermission, it's like choreographed just like the show. There Again, no time alone. No time to think. You get backstage- you go to the bathroom, you come out, they repaint your hands, which probably have, you know, <laughs> gone through it during act one. And then you get even greener because there's a line in act two that she says, well, it seems the beautiful get more beautiful. She's talking about Nessa while the green just get greener. And there's this idea that like, mm -hmm. as she becomes more and more wicked, as she becomes more and more outcast, she is even greener. And it's also, it also includes darker lips, mm -hmm. heavier eyes, everything, right? It's like a whole full face, yes, right? Yes, you get aged, so you get heavier mm -hmm. contour, dark lips, lashes. Yeah. 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 Do you know how I learned that? I've known that little fun fact for a while, only because back when I was playing the tour, a former student of mine happened to be the alphabet at that time. And I remember talking to her after one of the shows, because I was trying to find time to go out with her. And, you know, so we were talking about maybe between yeah. between shows when you had a two show day. And she's like, well, okay, well, I just need to, I'm going to need the time to shower. And all. And I just thought, why would you shower between shows and go through all that process again? Yeah. And that's when I learned that, oh, you got to start from scratch mm -hmm. every single show. That's no joke. But it's also kind of brilliant. It's one of those things that, you know, an audience member might not viscerally recognize, but between the shifting of the way the songs are crafted, mm -hmm. the quality of the voice might change just mm -hmm. a little bit over time. Plus the makeup grows a little different. The hair is different. The costumes get different. Oh, you know, it's yeah. such a cool evolution of this character. Oh, yeah. We talk a lot. They really thought of everything. How long does it take you to get green? And how long does it take you to shower it all off? They like to start the greening 45 minutes before curtain. I, I like, you know, I'm a standby. I'm a new face for her, maybe. And I just like to start earlier. But I would say it, it takes about 30 minutes. And then there's 15 minutes to get dressed and wig and all the other things. And then the, the shower... It, it still takes me a sec, but it also just depends on how thorough I'm going to be. If I know that I have another show that night, like I'm not going to worry about my ears so much. I'm not going to worry about like my hairline, whatever. I'm a little green. It's fine. But yeah, yeah, it does take a sec. <laughs> I just want to also acknowledge when you talk about someone or someone's following you around, you know, working on you all that time before the show at intermission, especially for someone who is a standby, mm -hmm. I just want to emphasize how you don't get any of that quiet moment to think, to sort of carefully go through your show, to think about what's about to happen. There's no time for that. It's a race. Which I think really adds another element yep. of high stakes yep. to being a standby, is just not being able to be quiet. I mean, even back on the Come From Away tour, that show was one of the hardest shows I've ever conducted. And I had an associate music director who I adore more than life itself. And he would be in my room all the time. But 
come like half hour or 20 minutes before the show, I'd be like, Cam, you got to get out. I need a minute. <laughs> and I was the one on every night. And I still just needed a minute to just like quiet my brain. Yep. So this idea of like having people work with you, fussing over you, touching you all the way up to showtime and at intermission, I think really is another testament to how well prepared you need to be how deep in the bones this role needs to be in order to be able to go on. You learn how to do that, find your center and take a deep breath and, you know, whatever in like 30 seconds, you know, like you just learn how to to get that done because it does need to get done, right? Yeah. To sort of quiet the buzzing and get ready to do your show. You do it. You just do it really quickly. (laughs) Yeah. Which is which is sort of another thing you have to practice, I'm sure. Right, is getting good at getting faster. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> faster centering. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Thank oh, you for that. this. Thank you for the inside scoop. Wow, mm-hmm. I love this. Should we take it into our final round, Cynthia? Take it home, Cynthia. Okay, this is lightning really round. Your, so your your thing. So I used to be so obsessed with the actor's studio with James Lipton, which is a fabulous series. And he always used to ask a series of sort of rapid fire questions at the end of every interview. So we've changed the questions a little bit, but in the spirit of James Lipton, are you ready for our lightning round? Okay. Here we go. (laughs) What fuels you? Good friendships, family, good food, moving my body. And what drains you? Power games ego. What profession other than your own, and we're going to have to include both voice teaching and performing in this, what profession other than the multiple ones that you do (laughs) would you like to do? Oh, I have so many. I have so many alternate lives I'd like to live. Okay, So my parents are architects. I've always thought architecture is really cool. I could see myself not in a big way, but in, in a grassroots and local way going into like small version of politics. I could see myself doing Mm -hmm. that. Emily, I feel like if you went into grassroots, small town politics, you would accidentally run for president. It would be like the TikTok. (laughs) Yeah. It'd be like, that's really cute. She started small. And then all of a sudden, you would be running for president. You couldn't help. Oh, God. I don't know that I want that. I definitely don't want that. But I just, I like the idea of making a change. I like the idea of making a change locally. What is your favorite form of self-care? Okay, I love baths. Same. <laughs> it's a new thing for me, but I, I've found that I really like baths. I meditate. Yoga is definitely self-care for me. Do your baths get just a little tinge of green when you get out of them? <laughs> no, that's more like a pillowcase situation. <laughs> <laughs> the pillow is green. I can imagine. I can imagine. What is your favorite comfort food? Maybe my mom's veggie chili. It's got like squash Mm. and zucchini and pinto beans and cheese and sour cream. And it's the best. Yeah. That sounds good. Okay. We are a PG podcast here. So you may need to give us a rhyming word. But what is your favorite curse word or word that rhymes with your favorite curse word? (laughs) I'm not like, I don't, I mean, I swear, I swear for sure. But it's like boring. It's, you know. It's like the F word. <laughs> it's never like, I don't know. I'm not one of those little throw out great swear words. <laughs> Listen, the F word. <laughs> get a lot get done. a lot of mileage out of that one. It's solid. It's always solid. Yep. It's always there for you when you need it. What are you grateful for? 
Oh, I'm grateful for so many things. Oh my gosh, I'm grateful for so many things. I'm so grateful for my family. I'm so grateful for my fiance and for my dog. I'm so grateful for Chelsea. I'm really grateful for where life has taken me. There have been so many ups and downs. And as everyone always says, right? Like you sort of just wish you could tell your younger self, like just ride the waves. It's going to be okay. Because it all, it all, you're going to go where you need to go and it'll lead you where you need to be. And I'm, I'm grateful for the journey. Grateful for how it's all playing out. <laughs> I love that. That may have just answered our last question, but we have one more question. If you could share one more thought with our listeners before we sign off, what would it be? I hope you sing today. I hope you sing today and I hope you sing something that just makes you happy and like no judgment and no self-criticism and it's not for anything, but I hope you just use your voice in a way that makes you feel good and beautiful and powerful today. I love that. What a lovely thought. Emily, this is such a pleasure. Yes. I might have to go sing today. Thank you for being with us. This was so much fun to be able to talk to you in this setting. And I just love you. And I know so many, so many, so many people love you you and and appreciate your wisdom and the joy that you bring into the world. And I'm excited for folks to get to know you even better through this episode. So thank you for being with us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Emily. I loved this conversation with Emily so much. I feel like she's had such an interesting journey to where she is. And I love also that we know that she is mid-journey. Yeah. Because you know there's a lot of things in store for her still. Absolutely. So I can't wait to, you know, five years from now, we'll sit down again and we'll do a recap of what's been happening for her. Because I have a feeling a lot of other things are going to be She's just getting started. Yeah. She is just getting started. Yeah. I also love the conversation we had today in this interview about making connections. And I, and we talk about that in episode 13, if you want to go back and listen to that. But I, I just think that highlights how, not only how important it is to make connections, but how cool the connections can be that, that you really are building a community of people that are going to support you, that you're going to get to know, that are going to sort of follow you along your journey. I just think that's really cool. I totally agree. I, I'm I'm pumped to hear what people think about this episode and what their takeaways are. I think Emily is such a positive light. And I loved getting to sit down and have this conversation with her today. Mm-hmm. And weren't the Wicked Fun Facts really fun? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not going to lie. Those are fun. <laughs> I love it. I love it. If you enjoyed today's episode, take a screenshot and tag us on Instagram at Coach. Share it with a friend and consider leaving us a review. And if you're ready to take your next step but aren't entirely sure what that should be, take our quiz. We'll strategize with you to outline a roadmap to your unique goals. Plus, from there, you can book a free consult with us. Visit bwayvocalcoach.com slash take the quiz. We can't wait to hear your story and help you take the next step in your career. Thank you.